following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Did God really say, do not worry, but rather trust in the Lord with all your heart? Did God really say that? Because i got to tell you, trusting in someone you cannot see with your own eyes sounds to me like a silly proposition. Did God really say, do not hate anyone. Rather, love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Love even those who persecute you. Did God really say that? Because i got to tell you, if you do that, your enemies, they're, they're just going to destroy you. Did God really say that his mercy endures forever? Did he really say that? Because i got to tell you, some of the things God has already allowed to happen to you seem hardly merciful to me. Did God really say, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with all that you have? Did God really say that? Because i got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people who are living really comfortable lives because they love money and did everything they could to acquire more of it for themselves. Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and if you do, you will die? Did God really say that? Because i got to tell you, when you... When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Ever wondered who every enticing lie and every beguiling half-truth comes from? I didn't think so. Even if your Bible learning ended at the Bible's third chapter... You've seen it as plain as day. All lies and all half-truths and, and quarter-truths, all deceptions come from the, uh, a fallen angel who disguised himself as a, as a snake in the grass. They start with that personal spirit being known as Satan, a, a Hebrew word that means the enemy. They originate in the, in the wickedly crafty mind of of the devil. Jesus once said about the devil, when he's lying, he's speaking his native language because he is a liar and the the father of lies. I use that word crafty on purpose. Crafty, shrewd, wise, it's actually the, the first descriptor of the devil that you find in, in Scripture. And it's followed by the most famous instance of it. Adam and Eve, we're told, had, had everything. So how could this crafty one somehow knock them down from their, their lofty perch? I mean, you know, they had, they had the perfect marriage. Adam and Eve had the the perfect home, in the perfect garden. They had perfect smiles and, 
and perfect strength of, of, of spirit, soul, and body. Each of them had been created in the image of God, thinking only God's thoughts and desiring only the holy things that, that holy God desires. But oh, they, they didn't know what evil is. They, they didn't know evil by their own experience. So that snake in the grass deceives them into thinking that knowing evil by experience is, is somehow a good thing. As that account unfolds, the devil deceives them and suddenly of, of all the trees growing in the, in the Garden of Eden, the, 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 the forbidden fruit on that one tree looks the most desirable. Eve takes some and she eats it and, and then she gives some to Adam who was with her and, 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 and he eats it and instantly their eyes are open. And they, they know what evil is. Just like that, they're, they're both ashamed of the, of the bodies that God himself had formed for that. that that's evil. Just like that, they, they hide themselves from their wise and loving creator and, and, and they're actually afraid of him. That's evil. He blames her. She blames the, the, the snake in the grass who deceived, deceived her. Uh, neither of them is willing to take, the account, uh, take accountability for their sin. That, that's evil. And there's more that's right after this passage that, 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 that we read. Soon God's going to tell the woman that the, the marvelous, marvelous privilege of giving birth to children will be severely painful. The relationship that this woman has with her husband will, will suddenly be, be set with, with mistrust and misunderstanding and, and even misuse of the, of the roles that God had given to each of them as, as husband and wife. That's evil. Everyday, everyday work, making a living, will suddenly be beset be, be with painful toil and, and the sweat of the brow. That's evil. And the worst evil that Adam and Eve and all their descendants would experience, this earthly life they would come to know must end in death, in returning to the ground. For dust you are, God told them, and to dust you will return. That's evil. Someone recently asked me, what's your favorite movie? Ever had that conversation? You talk about favorite movies, and, and then you talk about favorite novels, favorite television series. And, and what we both realize in this conversation is whether it's a movie or a television series or a novel, it can often become a favorite because you can, you can relate to at least one of the characters. You, you, you can connect with that person's experience. The Bible's portrayal of the fall into sin is absolutely nobody's favorite account ever. And yet, what the father of lies tempted Eve and Adam to do, yeah, 
I can relate to that. So can you. I mean, how many times has the liar somehow convinced you that what's false is actually preferable to what's true? How many times has he compelled you to think that selfishness has its advantage over serving others? Or, or, or that fostering a grudge is, is, is better than forgiving somebody for what, for what they've done? How many times has he deceived you into thinking that, that worry about the future is, is more practical than, than, than faith in God? How many times has he, has he lied to you to the point where you actually felt that it's, it's more practical to complain about things than to, than to be thankful for all the great gifts that God gives every day? In my, in my own hand-to-hand battles with the enemy, in your mind-to-mind warfare with, with, with the tempter, it seems like it's one defeat after another for both me and you. But then, then there's that special day, scorching desert sun overhead, jagged rocks blanketing the, the hills and canyons nearby, not a tree or a shrub in sight, not another human being in sight, In fact, for 40 days of going without food, he had not seen a a single human being. But he wasn't alone. We're told the Holy Spirit was leading him. And the most evil of all the spirits began to tempt him. Remember this detail that happened right before this. Immediately before Jesus headed out into the wilderness, he was baptized at the Jordan River. And as he emerged from the water, the the Spirit of God came and descended on him. And the booming voice of the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Well, now the devil is, is questioning that. He says, If you are the Son of God... Aren't you concerned about whether your father's going to provide daily bread that you need? Aren't you worried about whether he always has your best interests in mind? Jesus replies, it's written, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, but if you are the son of God... Will your father protect you in any circumstance? What if your life is on the line? Test him on this. Throw yourself down from this high place and and see whether he fulfills the words of the psalmist and sends his angels to rescue you. Jesus replies, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. All right. But if you just bow down to me in worship, all the, all the wealth and glory that the kings of the earth, uh, that they all gather, all of it will be yours. Jesus replies, it is written, book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
worship the Lord your God and serve him only. At, at least two important matters to, to, to notice in this series of temptations. The tempter not only aims to raise suspicions about, about God the Father, he, he can attack your identity. So for Jesus, it's if you are the Son of God. For, for me and you, is, is if you are a child of the Heavenly Father. If, if you really have been adopted into his family, well then... But two, the better thing to notice, maybe the more obvious thing to notice, is the almighty power of the Word of God. What the Holy Spirit put on Jesus' lips comes from the, the one who's our trusty shield and weapon. It is written. That's a truth that, that the, the liar cannot defeat. The Word of God, when it's heard, the Word of God, when it's remembered, the Word of God, when it's, when it's held close in the heart, the Word of God, when it's spoken as, as almighty truth, has the capacity to fend off every temptation and, and chase the tempter away. Probably pretty frequently you have, you have sung in your lifetime the most famous hymn composed by Martin Luther. 1529, he wrote it. Some say that when Luther wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, he had Psalm 46 running through his mind. You know Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But I'll suggest he may also have been thinking about incidents that happen in our daily lives over and over and about that incident in the wilderness. How the ancient evil foe who attacks us is no weakling and no dummy. He comes to the battlefield armed with, with deep guile and, and awful might. You and I realize that oftentimes we don't have the strength of will to win that battle with the devil and his persistent wise. Sometimes we, we leave our spiritual weapons and shield untouched. And we lose another battle with a tempter. With might of ours cannot nothing be done. Soon were our loss affected. But we have a hero whom God himself chose to fight for us. We have a courageous champion who went to the battlefield in our place. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. You ask who this may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. He holds the field, the battlefield, forever. As you know, there's there's conviction in hymns like this. There's confidence. There, there's, there's certainty that rests on accounts like the, those that are before us today. Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill. They cannot overpower us. This World's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little it is written. 
One little, this is what my God has promised me. One little, this is who I am because of what's recorded in Scripture. One little word can fell him. You want to know where this hymn most clearly identifies the hero who fights at our side? Want to recognize how Luther points most obviously to that great champion who won the battle in our, on our behalf? It's in the final verse. In the final verse, the word is capitalized. And the word is capitalized because the word who is God and the word who was God in the beginning is the word who became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And because Christ Jesus, the word, has fought a battle for us, our victory is won. Our victory is won. So did God really say, do not worry, rather trust in the Lord with all your heart? Did he really say that? Yes, he did. That's what's written in, in Matthew chapter 6 and in Proverbs chapter 3. That's the word of God. And the word in the person of of Jesus Christ has won a ferocious battle to ensure that those commands are worth honoring. And did God really say, don't hate anybody, rather love your neighbor, love your, love your enemies, love those who persecute you. Did God really say that? Yes, he did. That's what's written in, in Matthew chapter 5. That's the word of God. And the word in the person of Jesus Christ loved those of us, all of us who are by nature his enemies, so much that he gave up his life for us, that we might become his friends, that we might be his family. Did God really say that his mercy endures forever? Did God really say that? Yes, he did. And it's written in Psalm 136, repeated 26 times. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That's the word of God. And the word that is in the person of Jesus Christ offered himself, poured out his blood on God's mercy seat to ensure that that's always going to be the case. Did God really say, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have? Did God really say that? Yes, he did. That's the word of God, and it's written in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13. That's the word of God, and the word, capital W, in the person of Christ, has proven to be our provider 
in every need, whether we have much or little. And one more. Did God really say the kingdom's ours forever? Did he really say that? Yes, he did. That's what's written in the book of Psalms, in the, in the writings of the prophet Daniel, in the, in the epistles of the apostle Peter, and many, many times in the book of Revelation. That's the word of God. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that word, that king, fought on our behalf and in our place, defeated the devil again and again, all the way to the cross, offered up his life, rose from the grave, and now includes us in his kingdom of almighty power, of amazing grace, and of forever peace and love. The kingdom is ours forever. That's what's written. That's what the word Christ has won for us.